usually how I like to start these conversations is really just about an individual's journey uh, up to the point where uh, they are in their life. Usually when I speak to people, they're, they're kind of working on uh, really big things, right? And something that will d- define, define them in a lot of ways, right? It's something they're going to dedicate a lot of their life to, a lot of their time, energy, and, and, and capital. So it's important, I think, to, to understand the journey to get there. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about your journey before starting More Ventures? Yeah, I, I think it starts with, you know, I was born in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And what that did was truly gave me such a great appreciation for nature, for the ocean, for surfing, for the mountains. And so a lot of my, and my mom was, both of my parents were very into like recycling and mm-hmm. sustainability in the environment. So my journey started as a really young girl, just appreciating nature so much and drawing inspiration and peace. And so that's something that I felt needed to be protected. And so, you know, I actually first, after I graduated from UCLA, I obviously noticed that technology was going to have a profound impact um, on everybody, on every industry, from entertainment to um, e-commerce, just, I mean, honestly, it was going to disrupt almost every single industry. And when I came out, I always like wanted to make an impact. So my very first job was actually producing educational software at a company Mm -hmm. called Davidson and Associates. And I think what that did in terms of my journey is I was able to connect with something that I was passionate about, which is making a difference in education, Mm -hmm. using technology to help, um, advance people's education so whether that was like math or reading or algebra or just like exploring anything what technology did was able to sort of recognize where the other person was on the education journey and then kind of customize it and I think I was able to really get a master's degree in Hmm. technology human information processing I even taught myself how to program so I did everything from programming marketing, production, video sound editing. So it was a great first job to just dive in mm-hmm. and um, get some very critical skills in what really is going to be you know, the future of, of, of merging technology with everything. So that's kind of how it started. And then after that, I got my first opportunity with STV Communications to kind of help them raise the money to lead the sales and marketing. And then we sold that company to Sonic Foundry for $60 million. And actually Davidson and Associates sold for over a billion dollars to the Sendent Corporation. Wow. So my very first job was ended up being a unicorn, but I was <laughs> young, you know, I didn't get any equity or anything like that. So yeah. then I learned, okay, this is a really interesting journey. You know, not only do you want to work for somebody, but I sort of understood what is the value of ownership and equity or what it could be, right? Right, 100%. Then I started to get into entrepreneurship after that and started a number of different companies, primarily in the sustainability space. I started a company called Loving Eco, which was um, essentially a green guilt. So I knew women Mm. wanted, I knew women wanted healthier products. So it was everything from natural makeup, um, skincare products, accessories, dresses, shoes, everything to basically, it was like style for change. So, and we gave back to charity with every purchase. And I sold that to John Paul DiGiorio, the guy that runs Patron and Paul Mitchell. So I had another successful, so I had like two successful exits quite young. 
Um, so that was actually like a like a box or like you yes. actually sold products? It wasn't a box. It was, okay. an, it was an e-commerce site. Okay. okay. It's just an e-commerce site that was a, a, essentially, it's a flash sale site. So every gotcha. few hours, you basically guarantee the lowest price on the internet. Mm -hmm. Because that was really the way that I knew I could get women to vote with their wallet for ecologically conscious products was to absolutely guarantee that it was the lowest price. Amazing, yeah. Beating Amazon, beating any search results. And so it was for a limited time. And that mm -hmm. actually model worked very well. Yeah. Um, and we were able to raise a lot of money for really incredible um, nonprofits. And this is kind of before influencer marketing honestly existed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I did was I took a celebrity or a, you know, a businesswoman. So Ariana Huffington, Randy Zuckerberg, Maria Bello, Amy Smart, a bunch of people that were genuinely cared about the environment. Mm -hmm. And then we picked some of their favorite items. They promoted it. We got a lot of press. They pushed it out through social. And then we um, got people to vote with their wallet for ecologically conscious products while raising money for important charities. So that's kind of, I started that early. Amazing. And then I think another important part of my background is I have worked for a bunch of larger corporations, whether it's the Sony Corporation or I worked at marketing at CAA, which is the big talent yeah. agency. And so there I learned a lot about marketing. So I worked on the Livestrong campaign mm -hmm. and launched the Livestrong campaign from a strategy perspective. I worked on the Obama Youth campaign, leveraging YouTube um, wow. as a platform for him to speak, which... It was really great because I did get to see in the New York Times. It's rewarding because you work all the time. I mean, I've made a lot of sacrifices in that. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But it is nice when you see like a New York Times article and it literally says, you know, part of the reason that they think that Obama won is how he leveraged YouTube and social platforms to do two things. One is to connect with his audience in a way that no other president had ever done. Right. But also to use that as the platform for micro donations, smaller donations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Obviously in politics, it goes down to like how much money can you raise so that how many ads you can take and all of that. Mm -hmm. And Obama was never going to be able to outraise Hillary Clinton or the competition. Right. So when we got him to speak on YouTube and he's obviously naturally very charismatic, provided mm -hmm. a lot of hope. He was able to raise a lot of people would give him a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars, and that adds up. That was so huge. Oh yeah. So I worked on that and really was fundamental to that campaign and to many others, which is which is also it helps you do storytelling, direct marketing, you know, all of these things that you use right. to be an entrepreneur. Amazing. Yeah, so all this is like all these skills and, and talents that you hold. What got you into like impact investing and finance and venture? Was there uh, sort of a moment in time or somebody that you talked to that really inspired you to do so? Talk about like how more ventures actually like came to be. I know it's only a year old, yes. um, so it's probably still fresh in your mind. So what was the light bulb that went off to, to actually put it together? I realized after I started a bunch of companies and sold a few companies, um, I recognized that the hardest thing for people to do is to raise money, mm -hmm. in particular, mm -hmm for women and minorities. So I was the chief marketing officer at Crowdfunder, which was, an, which was one of the leading equity crowdfunding platforms leveraging the Jobs Act. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, we raised over $100 million into a number of different companies, FinTech, medical, real estate, all of that technology. And then I wrote the book, How to Raise Money, The Ultimate Guide to Crowdfunding, which is available on um, Amazon. Amazing. I want to just say like equity crowdfunding to me is an absolute game changer. And uh, I just want people to 
to understand the power in it. And maybe you could speak to it better. Obviously, you could speak to it better than I can. So maybe just quickly explain maybe what equity crowdfunding is and, and sort of how it's sort of different and how it enables uh, so many people to actually invest in startups. And this has never been able to happen before. The 2012 Jobs Act was when this was possible. And it's such an important, it's such an important feature and, and law that's, that's been passed really ever in finance that just enables the opportunity for people to, to be included in, in sort of the equity that, that you had spoke to about before. Exactly. So the traditional model primarily for startups is like venture capital invests in unicorns and the unicorns have to have like go from zero to a hundred million in a couple of years and yeah. this, is like this hockey stick growth. And honestly, a lot of companies do not fit that model. Right. And honestly, when you look at venture, 98% essentially goes, to, unfortunately, to like white males that dropped out mm -hmm. of or went to Harvard or Stanford. So it's a very specific model. And I'm like, well, the universe is so much more diverse. Steve, Steve Jobs ruined it for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, the universe is so interesting. So when the, when the Jobs Act came and Obama helped pass the Jobs Act, I realized that that could fundamentally disrupt and democratize people's access to capital. Yep. And so what it essentially means is there's two, there's a couple different kinds. There's rewards based, which what you can do is actually pre-sell products. So if you have an idea for a bike, if you have an idea for a watch, if you have an idea for any type of physical product, you can actually pre-sell that product in advance for money and use that money to, um, get your warehouse, manufacture, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. you deliver the product. So like Indiegogo, Kickstarter, or mm -hmm. great for that. Yep. On the other side where you can raise substantially more money is equity crowdfunding. And equity crowdfunding yep. actually gives people equity, which is ownership. Yep. So you're selling actual ownership and you can invest $1,000, $5,000, $100,000. You know, or even $300, right? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah exactly. getting low. So it, it really changes the game. And so you know, a lot of people were then able to invest. And so I, I wrote the book, if, if, if people want to learn more, they should absolutely how to raise money, the ultimate guide to crowdfunding, it's on Amazon. And that book explains everything plus gives resources of all the top marketing agencies, the lawyers, everything, if you actually want to do a campaign. Yep. Um, and I just felt as I matured after having a couple exits, that it was important to actually be on the other side of the equation to be able to write checks mm -hmm. because if you can write checks you can fundamentally change the equation on who gets the money yep. and so for us we focus on diversity and our um fund is a, it's actually a cross between a traditional venture fund and an intellectual property holding company okay. because we're focusing on the low carbon economy which is um fighting climate change so renewable energy alternative transportation, regenerative farming, AI, those types of things. But we're looking at only companies that have very strong intellectual property. Can you give an example of what that would mean within yeah, one so of those? Intellectual property would be actually, so our first deal was with Empower Technology, okay. a solar cell technology that actually came out of Sandia Labs. And so they have 26 different patents around improving solar panel and the little cells so it makes it lighter weight it also makes it that if, a, if one of the cells breaks it still works so hmm. it's actually um it's very geeky but it's for low orbiting satellites okay. that can be used for broadband communications huge and 
which is so in a lot of places where they can't do the infrastructure right traditional cable or telco they can use satellite broadband like in in india or africa mm-hmm. so that children can have access it's also used for big data to take satellite images the satellite images can show okay this is what's happening in greenland with the ice you know they can also monitor of course like nuclear movement and any type of movement that's happening right and so in fact that was our first deal but it it, what we can do is we can license or sell that technology to a company or to another country it doesn't have to ipo it doesn't have to go public and so it provides early liquidity to investors which is great but it also when you're talking about Climate time is not on our side. Mm-hmm. So if we can sell and license this technology, so for instance, you know, we're trying to talk to Amazon because Amazon, Jeff Bezos just announced they're going to put 3,300 3, yep. low orbiting satellites up for broadband communication. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. imagine that if we could sell or license the technology to their, to their um, satellites, that'd be great, right? Yeah, so of course. We don't have to do an IPO. So it's, it's, it's a hybrid model between traditional venture and intellectual property. Love that. That's amazing. What are some of the, if you could share, like what are, uh, what are some of the other AP portfolio companies that are out there or just, you spoke about different sectors, whether it's ag tech or, or green building. I'm really interested in like green building because I think that that has not, it has not seen sort of the, the growth that maybe like ag tech or like solar panels or climate technology. I feel like green building has not necessarily seen that same scale of, of being accepted yet, whether it's from the venture side or from the consumer side. Where Can you speak a little bit about maybe what's coming down the pipe? Are you optimistic that, that green building and, and sort of green housing is sort of coming of age a little bit more than maybe some of the other sectors? I think, yeah. So I So what I did when I decided what I was going to invest in is look at what produces, you know, what is the worst for the environment in terms of carbon offset? And actually mm-hmm. building, yeah. traditional building is actually very dirty business. Very. With all of the materials and everything, right? I actually think with COVID and everything that's happening that there's going to be a movement towards de-urbanization. Mm-hmm. And with de-urbanization and people living in smaller communities, I think that sets up for a really good premise for green building. There are really interesting companies. There's one here just outside of LA. It's called Plant Prefab. And Plant Prefab is all LEED certified, completely eco buildings that then service a bunch of other prefab companies like Living Homes Mm -hmm. and other modular based firms that are out there that have like different styles, different architects. So the beautiful thing about green building is, and I'm actually thinking of putting a little prefab in my in my backyard, is all you need to do is literally put down like a concrete slab, mm-hmm. and then a crane can literally come in and build essentially these. They're almost like shipping container pods that yep. stack on top of each other. Yeah. And so, but they can stack on top of each other to do a single house that's like fifteen hundred square feet, three thousand square feet, or entire more like apartment buildings or units sure. several units so i if people are really interested i would take a look at plant prefab and everything that they're doing i'll link to it in each country honestly um denmark sweden japan they all have different prefab companies yeah. with different types of designs and i do think that we're going to have a movement because what will happen is 
the price of these units will come down, the mm -hmm. awareness of these units yeah. will come up. And then also the technology will improve. You know, everything from smart home technology to better solar, um, better renewable energy, better materials, all of these things will be utilized within the green building. And hopefully it'll be more, more affordable it's, eventually, yes, right? I think that's the key is really making it more affordable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, rather than building, you know, or, or buying a house, a small house in LA, right? It's still going to be half a million, 700,000. Like it's just not attainable, right? So if you can yes. create these prefab communities that are sort of eco and sustainable and, and, and sort of, you can market that very well. Um, you can, you know, or maybe cut that price in half for, for individuals. And now a lot more cities become livable. And I think you're right, as, as, as maybe people exit these big cities now, they're going to have to look at things differently um, and build differently and make it more affordable for people to actually want to stay there, right? Rather than going to, to other cities that might be more affordable. Yeah, and I think what the government did for Tesla in terms of giving mm -hmm. them a lot of yeah, money for the batteries for sure. and all of that if the government had subsidies that they would support these types of green living situations, mm -hmm. sustainable communities, we would be better off. So it's also about, you know, demanding the politicians to support just a better way. And I think that that's so important when you're looking at all of the fires that are in California right now, in mm -hmm. Oregon, in Colorado. And in fact, plant prefab is actually made, of course, units that are um, fire retardant. Hmm. So the other thing that we need to think about is, what materials, you know, traditional wood just burns, right? Right. Everything. So corrugated metal and aluminum and all these other things are just so much smarter for the environment. So I really think as America has to rebuild a lot of these communities, um, we need to rebuild in new ways. The one thing when I was uh, reading a little bit, and as you spoke about your past a little bit, how perhaps using media and your skill sets and like communication to really help uh, the fund, right? And, and help the, the portfolio companies within it. I think that's so smart. I think that, I think that's a huge asset for, for your company. So talk a little bit about, if you can, right? I don't want you to sell, tell everybody trade secrets, but like, how do you look at media and communication as a power and, and sort of like a skill set that when you write a check to a company, they're not just getting a check, right? I think it's so valuable that you know, these funds and firms add more than just money because a lot of times companies need much more than that, right? <laughs> well, it's what we're just talking about. So I think my background, so it's skewed. My background is heavy in marketing, storytelling, communication, mm -hmm. and media. And I think that any company needs to be in some form of a production company because of social media. 100%. Because of people respond so much to, to video, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the algorithms of Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. It's all, video is favored. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's critically important to be, as an entrepreneur and a CEO, to be a very good storyteller because that can often make the difference between somebody that's successful and not successful is the person that's able to be a really good storyteller, to have strong market traction to be able to gain customers cost effectively that's really important and so for me with the companies that we invest in in our portfolio we do absolutely work with them on their messaging mm. on their ui on the media um i'm also um talking to a bunch of um 
production companies and distribution companies on actually creating television shows, series, and content. Hell yeah. Yes. That I'm investing in because people don't understand what is regenerative farming. As you asked about green building. And so in a similar way to what Zach Afron did, which it yeah. was down to earth, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So that was on Netflix and mm-hmm. actually it was one of the most popular Netflix. Obviously it's Zach Efron, but he, <laughs> he helped. Sustainability. But he was talking about sustainability. So he was talking about farming in Costa Rica and mm-hmm. in, in Iceland. And so when you have people like that that are going to use their voice to create awareness, I think that that's very powerful. And, you know, with the Livestrong campaign, Nike came to Lance Armstrong and said, we want to sell one million bands, but it was white. It had seized the day on it with a Nike swoosh. We're like, we can't, we can't do that. Right. So we dug, we found Livestrong as a biking event. We, you know, we, we created the motto. We changed the definition around, you know, his cancer and his survivorship. So it's, that's all marketing. That's all storytelling. It's all media. I think mm-hmm. people underestimate. I mean, I'm from Los Angeles, right? So I the capital. Think, yeah, I do think that, <laughs> that that entrepreneurs underestimate the power of media and how important 100%. it is for to getting customers and to building awareness, but to doing it in a ways that are actually affordable and scalable. Yeah. No. I listen. I I 100% agree with you. Like that is. I, I think it's so it's such underrated. I think every company needs to be a production company, be a media company as much as they can, right? As as much as as they can. But I think so many people take it for granted. From conversations I have with people, it's, uh, it's amazing what it can do. And and you never know who's going to see something, right? Who's going to watch something, who's going to listen to something. It could lead to to bigger deals, to bigger partnerships, to new consumers. So yeah, I think the the creation of content and the creation of media is, it it should be a top priority for companies, right? Any company in any sector. Right. I mean, particularly like we talked about, I mean, social media. So most people discover and find things through their friends or through Mm -hmm. Instagram and Facebook. I mean, Instagram and Facebook are still very, very powerful marketing vehicles and and Google. Yeah, of course. Yeah. YouTube's always going to (laughs) be video. I mean, obviously you could do tons of things with video. Another really cool one is LinkedIn, I think is really kind of underrated a little bit. And Pinterest is coming along too. It's still, it's still a little bit of a secret, but Pinterest is like a really good place to live, especially for consumer brands. And I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the future because I know, you know, starting, you know, your company this year or the end yeah. of last year was a, was a really interesting time to do so, right? What has yeah. this last year been like for you? And has it, I guess, has your, has your approach changed? Has have you have are you still optimistic about doing this right and, and starting this? Has has the companies you've looked at changed a little bit um, and strategy of who you're looking at companies wise because the world is changing very very fast even from from a year ago? I guess how how has this last year been for you? What's the roller coaster yeah. been like? Well, so first of all, being an entrepreneur or you know running a fund, it's a roller coaster, right? If you have I Even in good times, huh? So if you, if you, I would like to say this to the, everybody that's out there, like if you have a type of personality that really thrives on consistency and regularity and, you know, consistent structure, entrepreneurship is probably not the right path for you. So 
first of all, the last year I've worked like I always work hard because I'm this sort of serial entrepreneur. But honestly, the last year it's been very intense in terms of creating it, raising the money. Mm-hmm. I've reviewed my teams reviewed well over a hundred companies mm-hmm. in the pipeline. Going into COVID, I had a bunch of money committed right as literally the money was getting wired the first week of March mm-hmm. when we went into um, complete lockdown. <laughs> and my lead investor is a bit older and so went into lockdown earlier and so gotcha. then put everything on hold. Mm. So it was um, definitely disappointing to say the least. And it was a setback. So the smartest entrepreneurs pivot. So what we did as a team is we pivoted instead of a traditional fund, we're doing special purpose vehicles. So each deal we get investors Mm -hmm. into the deal. One in, uh, you know, the solar technology, another one in renewable energy and AI. Um, I mean, excuse me, um, regenerative farming actually in AI. I do think, though, with what's happened uh, with the fires and everything that people understand, um, people that didn't believe in climate change mm-hmm. understand that it's a, it's a, not only is it a threat to civilization, it's a threat to the economy. Huge. So <laughs> it's an absolute threat to the economy. And I think Goldman Sachs came out this week and said, you know, climate change is a threat to the economy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I hope people realize is that all of these businesses need to be flipped in order for us to reduce our carbon footprint and, you know, not have to go to Mars, essentially, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the companies that you're looking at and then, you know, just within that that sector, everybody's going to have some IP, correct? Like, yes, I mean, most of them that don't have IP. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's that's really interesting. I really like that a lot. So I guess we, I usually like to end on, future a little bit and I know I get it's it's very uncertain but in in the perfect world right what would you what would you would you like some of the the goals and successes to be in, you know in five years from now or five to ten years from now like what you know when you sit down have a glass of wine by a fire or something like that what is what is the five to ten years what are some of the goals that you personally have for the fund and for the companies within it would you what are some of the successes that that you that you would would like to see. We need to shift the economy from this fossil fuel based economy over to more of a green economy, but a green economy that is like very smart. We talked about building, like mm-hmm, we can mm-hmm. profoundly impact building. We can, we also need, people need food and we shouldn't be spraying chemicals and pesticides on the food. So there's a much better way to do regenerative farming. Then, you know, with renewable energy, obviously PG&E in California is causing a lot of these fires because they don't have good backups or causing blackouts, rollouts, like that shouldn't be. We should have enough energy from renewable that it's not, it's it's a, in five to 10 years, energy should be, that should be a Mm non-issue in America. We definitely should have an infrastructure that from from wind, from solar, from other n- new ideas that we shouldn't be getting it from, from PG&E. Like just mm-hmm. the traditional, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You can see like, obviously Elon Musk has really moved the ball forward with electric cars. So I'd like to see other industries mm-hmm. literally transform themselves as much as what we've done with Tesla. Mm-hmm. So we, we need 
the future I see more Teslas, but the Teslas are in all the verticals that we talked about. You know, everything yep. from AI, green building, renewable energy, alternative transportation, you know, all of the things that will move us towards a very healthy economy with a lot of job creations, because I think we need more jobs, but we need jobs in the green economy, not in yep. the old economy. Yep. So, so that also requires politicians that believe in science, that believe in climate change, and that are actually going to create jobs and policies and regulations that are going to move us forward, not backwards. Because I feel mm -hmm. like our current administration focuses on fossil fuels and and just the old way, which sure. coal and coal, like these, don't, it doesn't make sense long term. It's just going to push us behind, mm -hmm. and it's going to push uh, countries like China ahead of us. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because no. Hong totally. Kong is, and Hong Kong now is the center of um, health tech, mm -hmm. so we've now lost. You know, Silicon Valley is no longer the center of health tech. Mm -hmm. Well, that happens so fast because you know we just don't have our eye on the ball. Yeah, no, policy is big is a big issue, and just simply believing in. It, I think how we get everybody involved is the creation of jobs, like you said. It you know, green economy will create millions of jobs, exactly. right? So it's it's having you know industries speak about that um, to legislatures to to make them understand that that look these old ways of doing things, it might keep these jobs for a little bit right now. Right. It's going to be very, very quick when those jobs don't exist anymore that we're going to have just millions of people that are just unskilled and, and, and looking for, for jobs, but they're just not going to exist. And investing in like the innovation, especially within energy, right? It's like an important thing for a city not to have blackouts, right? right. These are kind of simple fundamental things that, if we can innovate in all these other areas and use technology to innovate in all these other areas, we need to use them for foundational things <laughs> for yeah. our country so we can compete uh, yeah. with the rest of the world as they catch up, right? They're catching up. I feel up. like if the Federal Reserve bails out companies of the past, mm. how is that going to help us? Yeah. So I feel like with COVID, unfortunately, a lot of the companies that were bailed out, I would call dated business models mm -hmm. and so we basically pushed trillions of dollars into the past instead of investing in the future mm -hmm. so i think mm -hmm. that's actually going to put us a lot farther behind than people even realize and it is going to put india china um, and other countries that are investing mm -hmm. in these future technologies in terms of infrastructure in a big way they're going to be farther ahead of us so we really need to think differently, honestly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Melinda. It's been a great conversation. I knew it would be. Uh, best of luck in the rest of this year. Obviously, I think we all just trying to get through it a little bit and plug exactly. away as much as we can. Uh, but hopefully, the next three to five years, uh, you know, we can really speak uh, more thoroughly and get the word out there a little bit more about you know climate tech, ad tech, um, green building, all these different avenues that will create not only millions of jobs, but also create billions in tax revenue, right? Like these, these things can happen and it's really not that difficult. We just need to get the focus on these things that are, that will work and be innovative and, and lead us for the next few decades, rather than looking at the stuff that brought us to this point that were decades old, which is fine. We need to appreciate what they've done. Right. But it's all good things come to an end. And people just don't want to give that up. <laughs> and it's, right. uh, it's a struggle. But I appreciate you taking the time. 
and, and best of luck going forward. Thank you.